Welcome to those of you that are online. Welcome to those of you that are here in person. We're so glad that you're here, and I apologize that I'm not at the Sea of Galilee this morning. Uh, I heard the oohs and ahs. Let's just pretend it's a Zoom meeting, and the background that I've chosen is the Sea of Galilee. Uh, you will want to come and be a part of a, that series as we start it next week. But this morning, we're going to conclude our series looking at refresh and what it looks like to refresh um, our bodies, our minds, and this morning we're going to look at our soul. And, and what we wanted to do over the last three weeks is just remind each and every one of us of the way that God has laid out in Scripture that there is a purpose between, beyond, be, behind why God designed us for rest, why He designed us to renew our minds. And this morning as we look at soul, and uh, so Pastor Doug and Pastor Brian um, took us to those different places. I just want to take a moment this morning and recap, refresh, okay? So we're going to do a recap on our refresh. And so uh, the first week, as Pastor Doug talked about, he talked about rest, and he talked about what it looks like. And he mentioned these three things, that if you're going to uh, be intentional with your rest, you're going to plan for it, then you're going to prepare for it, and then you're going to be present in it. And each one of those things are super important because when it comes to our rest, we talked during that, that time, Pastor Doug talked about, like he took you to different places uh, where, you find, where you say you find rest. You go on vacation to the mountains or you go to the beach or um, for families, I don't know that it's rest at Disneyland, but you go to rest at Disneyland. Um, but when we're talking about our spiritual growth, rest really has to be intentional. We have to plan for it. Um, we have to prepare for it. But then, ultimately, we have to be present in that. Um, if, I, if I plan and prepare, but I'm really not present in that, then it's really not going to be helpful in the spiritual development of who I am. And then last week, Pastor Brian talked about uh, our minds and what it is to renew. And so he talked about what it is to dedicate our minds and then allowing our minds to discern and then ultimately to delight in God's Word. And of all, in all of Scripture, that word delight is one of my favorites. Uh, the psalmist writes about delighting in God's Word, that it isn't supposed to be this, um, this task that I grit my teeth and I'm like, oh, I'm going to study God's Word today, and oh, He's making me do this, that kind of idea. It is really to delight in it. As I study God's Word and as I spend time allowing God's Word to, to fill my mind, to transform my mind, I do delight in God's Word. It's one of the great privileges that I have that I love in being able to share God's Word with people is because I get such delight when I look into God's Word and what it's done in my life. And so to be able to share that with others. And so last week, we looked at what it is to renew our mind. And this morning, we're going to talk about restoring our soul. And uh, we're going to go to Ezekiel in just a minute. But before we get there, some background as we head into this this morning. First is on the, the word soul, because I think we have a lot of different definitions when it comes to what we think about when we think of soul. And so I, I've got two definitions for you this morning um, as it refers to soul, kind of how we think about it. The first of those is that soul is this non-physical, immoral essence of a person that's contained or trapped in our body to be released at death. 
All right, the second definition is very similar, straight from Webster's Dictionary. The spiritual part of a person that is believed to give life to the body again, and in many religions, is believed to live forever. And so in these two definitions, when we think about soul, we think about soul as something that's separate from our physical body. Um, think about uh, in, the, in the Avenger movies, uh, Doctor Strange, um, there's this moment in his movie, Doctor Strange movie, where he is on the operating table and, and his soul is kind of hovering above, all right? It's kind of separated from his body. And, and in movies and different things, that's how we kind of see soul depicted. It, it kind of separates from us and it kind of hangs over us. And in some ideas, it's our soul that lives forever, not necessarily the physical pieces of our body. But when we talk about Scripture, um, in the Old Testament, when, when the Old Testament speaks about soul, here's the word that the Old Testament uses. The Old Testament word is nefesh, all right? Nefesh. Um, now you know some, some Old Testament Hebrew, um, nefesh. You can say it with me, nefesh. And nefesh literally means this. Literal translation for nefesh is throat. What? Wait a minute. I thought we were talking about soul. The literal translation of nefesh is throat. So here's the idea. Maybe you've used this phrase before. Someone stuck their neck out for me. Or, um, you know, they stuck their neck out for me. What do I mean when I say that someone stuck their neck out for me? I mean, they, they stuck their whole life out for me. They put their neck on the line. They're putting their whole self out on the line. And so when the authors in the Old Testament refer to soul, they're talking about nefesh, and throat sounds really weird, so let's see it a little bit more. It refers to the whole person, that which makes a body a living being. So when the Old Testament authors are writing about soul, they're writing about nefesh. It is this wholeness of who we are, the whole body. And so here's the distinction that we want to make. The distinction we want to make about soul is rather than having a soul, in the Bible, soul is what we are, a living, breathing, physical being. The soul is who we are. It's not something that's separate. It's something that's a part of the wholeness of who we are. And so when the, when the Israelites would re, recite the Shema in Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, this is what they would say. Hear, O Lord, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. This is, this is the translation we would read. They would read it this way, love the Lord your God with all your nefesh. They're saying, love the Lord your God with everything that you are, body, soul, mind, and being. Because the soul is something that God has created. He has created the wholeness of who we are. And so as we conclude this series this morning, it's, it's good because what we're going to talk about is really the culmination of of my body and my mind, and now I'm bringing my soul, and the wholeness of all of this is what I seek God to refresh in and through me. And so this morning I said we're in Ezekiel chapter 37, 
And uh, we're going to drop into the story of Ezekiel. And so because we're dropping in, uh, we're not getting the full context of it. I want to give you some background on Ezekiel. First of all, if you're looking for Ezekiel in your Bibles, um, it's in the latter part of your Old Testament. Um, You've got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel on the other side of it, Hosea. Um, Many of those are prophets that we talk about. So that's where you can begin to find Ezekiel if you're looking for it in your Old Testament. But here's some background on Ezekiel. Ezekiel is among those books of the Old Testament we, we refer to as a major prophet. Um, and so there's some other prophets later. They're minor. I don't know why we call, call them major and minor, but that's how we refer to them, because their message is the same uh, for, for most of what they're sharing. They're messengers from God. God has given these individuals, these major prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel, um, He's given them a message, all right? And so Ezekiel is among those. His peers would have been Jeremiah and Daniel. So when I say peers, Jeremiah and Daniel would have lived at the same time as Ezekiel is prophesying. Jeremiah would have been prophesying as well. And Daniel, you know, he's probably wrestling with some lions. Um, That's where he's at um, in this, all right? Ezekiel's ministry as a prophet spans the time that Israel is in exile in Babylon. So Ezekiel is actually one of those who is taken into exile in Babylon, and they are apart from Jerusalem. In fact, much of the story that God gives to Jeremiah or to Ezekiel is doom and gloom. He shares this message with the people. The message that Ezekiel is sharing um, is a constant object lesson of these things that God is going to do. God's message for Ezekiel to share is one that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. The people are going to be separated from their home. And there's lots of doom. And Ezekiel's life is this object lesson. God tells him to shave his head. Um, He tells him a whole bunch of different things to use as object lessons for the message that he's going to share with the people. And so that's just some of the background as we get into Ezekiel chapter 37. So would you stand with me this morning as we read Ezekiel chapter 37, beginning with verse 1. These are the words. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breathe from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And breath entered them. 
They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Father God, it's your word. It is true and it pierces to the very heart of who we are. Father, refresh, refresh our soul today. Refresh the wholeness of who we are, that we might delight in you, that we might find rest in you, that we might find restoration from our, for our soul in you today. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So this opening part of Ezekiel, you're, you're wondering, man, that's some uplifting, good kind of stuff, man. I'm super encouraged. Like, what's with all this dark dreariness? You go back to these opening verses of Ezekiel chapter 37, and the opening verses of Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 and 2 say this, the hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley, in the middle of a valley, and not just any valley, but a valley filled with full of bones. And he led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. The first thing I want you to see this morning is that there is this wasteland of our soul. Maybe when you read this from Ezekiel, you start to relate. You start to see that in many ways, this is where your soul is. It's in this wasteland It's in this valley, and as you walk, it's dry, it's arid, it's dark. Um, There seems to be no hope for what's going on in your soul. We often think about this idea of wasteland as the deserts of our lives. And, And so many times when you get into a desert, you think, man, I need lots of water or else I'll be parched. And And we can relate to that as it relates to the wholeness of who we are in our soul, that there are many times where we enter these wastelands, where our soul, the whole of who we are, is parched. It's yearning for a refreshing. It's yearning for something that will quench the dryness that is my soul. In the dark days of life, the the ground is dry. Our life is consumed by the misery of our days, this parched aspect of our lives. We are wanderers in a wasteland. And like Ezekiel, we we look out at the wasteland and we wonder, is there hope? Is there hope for these dry bones, these dry bones of my soul? You see, the people of Israel were in exile. They'd been taken from their homeland and taken to a place of Babylon, 
where Babylon had their own gods, their own places of worship, their own things to, that they would look to to refresh their soul, to restore their soul. And the people of Israel had been taken from their homeland to this place, and they had a choice. While they were in the wasteland of their lives, they had a choice. Either they could choose to continue to worship God, the one true God, or they could seek refreshment, restoring of their soul from the gods of Babylon. And for many of them, they sought out those gods, the gods of Babylon, and they would not satisfy. They left their souls longing for something more. It left them dry and in a heap of desolation. You see, you may be someone who has followed Jesus for a long time, and yet in these days, you, you know that your soul is dry. You know, that it, you know that it feels as though the tank has been emptied. You've memories of what it was to be passionate for Jesus, to, to walk so close to Him, and you have those memories, and, and yet your soul longs for that, to take those steps towards Jesus once again. You have stories of how He shaped the decisions of your life. You have a history, but now what you see is just a pile, a pile of dry bones. The shine is a bit duller, the passion a little softer, the desire maybe is waning, and your soul is in need of restoration. Maybe for someone else, the journey has not been so long. Maybe it's fresh, and yet it feels as though the dry bones of your soul continue to pile up. The pain of the past, the heartache of years, the brokenness of those scars you might carry are never far from your mind. You see, your soul is in need of restoration. For others, the pain is unbearable. You have never sought after God in your wasteland. In fact, you've mostly blamed Him for your current state. He has been a hands-off, uncaring, a malevolent God. And yet your soul, too, aches for restoration. It cries out for some refreshing You see, our hope would be that as we enter these places of the wasteland, that that we would quickly move out of the wasteland into the beautiful flowery mountains. We would hope that in our wasteland that God would come and He would quickly take us out of the wasteland and move us on to the next season of our lives. And yet we get impatient with our wastelands. And in those moments of being impatient, we make choices. And it's interesting how the New Testament authors talked about the wastelands of their days. Surely they struggled with the emotions that came with the circumstances of their lives. Paul certainly wasn't happy when he got thrown off a cliff and he's clawing his way back into town. There's an emotion that's there that there's no way that Paul felt like, hey, that was awesome. So glad they threw me off a cliff. I'm feeling awesome about who God is in this moment. No, there was some real emotion that had to come with that. Peter's probably many times thought, what did I do wrong? 
There was emotion that was a part of who they were. Timothy had to be reminded, don't get down on yourself, Timothy, because you're a young person. They had real and raw emotions. Sometimes I think we, we glorify these individuals of the Bible and think that they were some, you know, some statue and they didn't have emotions, but I think truly they did. Even in the wastelands of their days, they were wondering, God, what are you doing in this? And yet, in the book of James, we find how they respond so often. Look at, look at this in James chapter 1, verse 2. We're going to break down three verses here. James writes this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. The author James says, you're going to face all kinds of trials. He gives you a big blanket and he says, there's going to be all kinds of wastelands that are come, going to come to your life. There are going to be wastelands and there are going to be times in those wastelands that you're going to have this emotion that you're going to feel what is happening. And James says, consider it pure joy. But he doesn't end there. He says in verse 3, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. He goes on to say, follow the progression. He says, you're going to have all kinds of trials. Consider it joy. Because as you consider it joy in the trials, you're going to see the testing of your faith. You're going to see, are you truly in it to follow after Jesus? Because it's in the wastelands where our faith is is refined because it produces perseverance. If I can, with joy, walk through the wastelands and I can persevere, look what he says in verse 4. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You, you need to see the progression, that there is a process that God desires for us in our wastelands. No, it's not something, this is not to diminish our wastelands. Those are horrible, challenging places at times. But the author of James, James writes, consider it joy, because through your perseverance and the testing of your faith, you then grow in your maturity and your faith in Christ Jesus. So that the next time I step into the wasteland, my perseverance is not, can I do this? My perseverance is resting in the God who can. Help me persevere. And so James reminds us of that. Again, it's not to minimize our pain and suffering in those wastelands. Many of us and many of those things are real and challenging to our faith. But they are also places where God, whose heart is to restore and refine us, begins to work through us. Let me give you kind of a practical example. Uh, I have a picture here, a friend of mine who restores cars. I don't know how well you can see it, but this is a vintage truck. Um, you'll know that I'm a car guy because I'll tell you it's a truck, okay? <laughs> All right? But imagine that uh, I'm going to restore this truck, and I bring it into my garage, rusty, without an engine, missing all kinds of parts, and, uh, and I take it into my garage. 24 hours later, I am not going to come out with a restored vehicle. I know that because it's going to take time. There's, there's dents, there's rust, 
There's all kinds of different things. I'm going to do a lot of pounding. I'm going, to, I'm going to find different things to mold it and shape it into the place where I want it to be. And there are even going to be times where I'm going to work diligently on it, and there are going to be other times that I do not want to go into that garage because it is a trap of heartache and pain and hurt. But over time, as I work, as I pound at the different pieces of that truck, and I get to the place, ultimately, as I'm diligent with it, this is what I end up with. Beautiful, beautifully restored, picture perfect, like I want to drive that truck, right? And it took some time to restore that truck. When it comes to the wastelands of our soul, do you know that there is a God who desires to restore you? You see, God is the restorer of our soul. That's the second thing that we see in our, our passage this morning is that He is the one who is restoring our soul. We have a number of practical choices when it comes to restoring our weary and parched souls. And the choices that we make will go a long way in determining whether we move forward to the truest restoration of our soul. I, I want to give you another practical kind of illustration. Let's, let's imagine, and this truly is going to imagine, that I am training for a marathon, okay? It's not going to happen. Uh, I'm adverse to training for a marathon. But let's say that I'm training for a marathon, okay? And, and I'm working up a sweat. I'm running diligently every day. And, uh, and I get to a place of stopping, and I have a number of choices to restore my body after a long workout or training. So my first choice is I can, um, I can grab a soda or for my Midwestern friends, a pop. Uh, I can dra- dra- grab one of these. Now you might choose diet. I don't know why you would, but you might choose diet. You might even choose Coke, which is an even a crazier example. But anyway, uh, after my workout, I choose a soda. I'm just going to chug it down. It's not going to restore my body to what it needs, right? In fact, this is going to steal more from my body than it will give back to it. So not a great choice, but a choice nonetheless. Uh, I have another choice. I could uh, get done with my workout and I could grab a cup of coffee. And uh, it's water mixed with something. I don't know. I don't drink coffee, so I'm probably not choosing this one either. Um, it's a great illustration so far, isn't it? We're going really well. My workout, I'm sweating. I'm tired. My body aches. I could grab a cup of coffee and I could chug it down. Yeah, I don't know. Not a great choice. Uh, I, could, uh, I could grab... Super Bowl Sunday, I could grab a Gatorade or a power, body armor or some kind of sports drink. They're made to replenish my body. Um, and so I might chug one of these downs and it's going to start to replenish some of the things. And, uh, but I might have to drink a lot of these. I might actually have to get the Gatorade bucket over me to really feel restored. And those are my choices. Oh, did I mention I have one more, right? I have one more choice. Pure, pure water, just water. It's 
the best thing to restore my body after a long workout, to fill it back up. And I might chug a few of these, but water is going to do the best to restore my soul. And we would say, Matthew, of course, the choice is obvious. When you're working out, stick with water. That's an obvious choice. And when it comes to our soul, the crazy thing is, is that when we look to restore our souls, we look for all kinds of different choices. We say, maybe this will restore my soul. Maybe this will restore it. Maybe this will make it function well. And we make all these different choices, like the Israelites. We choose all different kinds of things to say, will you restore my soul? And for a moment, it might do some restoration. But over time, I'm going to need more and more and more. This morning, the obvious answer for us in this room is God is the one who desires to restore our soul. If you look at verse 9, what what God tells Ezekiel is this, then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. It's the same kind of picture that you see in Genesis when God breathes life into Adam and Eve. God desires to restore your soul by breathing new life into you. His desire is to restore your soul. This is the heart of who He is. He wants to do that for us. The fullness of who we are and the full restoration of our soul comes from God. As Ezekiel is commanded to prophesy life and breath into the dry bones, they begin to come to life. But if you notice the picture, it's It's not a complete come to life. There are tendons and muscles and skin that get reconnected as those dry bones are coming to life. And sometimes, maybe that's what God's doing. He's simply restoring a tendon here, a little bit of skin there. He's chiseling away at our hearts a little bit here until we get to that place of that car that is fully restored. And even then, God will continually restore our soul. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30, we see the heart of who God is. Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is is light. God says, come to me. All. The word all means all. There's not one person in this room joining us online or in our community or in this world that God doesn't say, I want to restore your soul. I want to be that living water that breathes into you and restores your soul, tendon by tendon, skin by skin, heart by heart, mind by mind, body by body. Stephen Mackia wrote a book, Broken and Whole, and in it he reminds us uh, of this delight that God gets with restoration. God delights in the ongoing process of shepherding my, our soul, and loving us back to redemptive wholeness and grace-filled living, all through an extension of His steadfast 
love, and mercy. Do you see that? God delights. It's not something that he's like, oh, there we go again. I got to restore somebody else. No, he loves it. It's the heart of who he is. And it's an ongoing process that each of us have to acknowledge. Out of our wasteland, it's the God who restores us. Now, we can acknowledge our wasteland. It can feel like an eternity or that it seems as though we may never come out of it. But take note that in the restoration of the dry bones, life does not come until tendons and skin have been attached. And it may be that in your current season of life, all God is simply doing is ushering you through a time where He is restoring the tendons of your soul. He's refining your heart little by little. But understand, it is God who we are commanded to entrust with the restoring of our soul. We certainly have other options. I shared those with you already this morning. And we make those choices sometimes without even thinking. And they satisfy for a moment. They give a, a moment of euphoria and we think, oh, I'm back on track. And then in another instant, that restoration is gone. We don't disregard the wasteland because it's in the wasteland that we become more aware of our need for our restorer. It is there where our sins are able to be laid bare before our Savior and God. It's there where the deep restoration of our soul begins. In a chapter before Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel 36, this is what God's desire to restore, not only a nation of Israel, but us as well, says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Do you see the I wills? God's promise is that I will. I will restore your heart. I will cleanse you. I will make you whole. I will put a new heart in you. And take away that old heart. God's heart is to refine and restore your life. It's to take the hard parts of your soul and begin to chisel away at them and to restore them to himself. That's the quenching that comes when we sit before God. And in obedience, listen to the only one who can truly restore us back to life. He becomes the rest for my body He's the transformer of my mind and the restorer of my life. But it doesn't end there. Because if he becomes the restorer of my soul, then he also becomes the pursuit of my soul. Look at verses 13 and 14 of Ezekiel 37. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. I will put my spirit in you. We often look at the individuals of the Bible and say, man, I wish I had the spirit like David had. I wish I had the spirit like Paul and Peter. And the reality is that you do. The same spirit that was in and through and working in those individuals is the same spirit that God has promised to you and I. 
The problem is, is that we rarely activate God's Spirit in and through us. We look at the wastelands of our soul and we say, I will restore my soul. Don't worry, God, I got this. I'm good. And God says, wait a minute, I want to restore you. I want to be the fullness of that restoration. I want to put my spirit in you. I want to activate you so that you can love more fully, that you can be more kind and compassionate. And most importantly, you can share the gospel with those in this world. I want to activate that in you. And so the question for us this morning is the same question that was asked of Ezekiel. God asked Ezekiel, can these dry bones live? And you have to ask yourself that question. Can these, this dry bone of a soul, can it live? Do I believe that God, who can restore death to life, restore my soul, is truly the one that can do that? Do I believe it with all that I am, with all my nefesh, that he loves me and he cares about me? You have to answer that question for yourself this morning. And if you can answer yes, then what I would ask of you this morning is begin to believe it with all of your nefesh, with all of your body, mind, and soul that you would begin to live as one who has been restored. If you have asked Jesus to be a part of your life and you've taken steps towards him, then begin to live out the restoration that he has for you. We're going to enter into a time of communion right now. And if you have asked Christ to be a part of your life, if you've taken steps towards Jesus, we ask you to participate in this. If you haven't done that yet, then really this time really has very little meaning to you. Because what we understand as those who have asked Christ into our lives is that he is restoring our souls. That there was an action that he took. He left heaven to come to earth, Jesus, to die on a cross for our sins. And he did that because his heart was for us. And so in this time of communion, we think about this bread, this bread that represents his body, his body that was broken for us, us who are sinful, dirty, dry, dead people. That's a glorious picture, right? And he says, I want to breathe life into those dry bones. And I'm going to do it by sacrificing my body on the cross for their sins. And so we take this bread and we eat in remembrance of the restorer of our soul. He was meeting with his disciples and he was talking to them about what was coming up, that he was going to go to the cross. He was going to die for them and others, the whole world. And he said, my blood's going to be shed for you so that you can know what it is to be restored, to be cleansed, to take the sin and darkness of our lives and to wash it white as snow. Again, this beautiful picture of what Christ does for us to restore our souls. So he sat with his disciples and he said, this is my blood. Drink it in remembrance of me. I'm going to pray and then we're going to go continue to worship.
God, I thank you. Thank you for being the restorer of our souls. You are the one who can take away our pain. You're the one that can heal our brokenness. You are the one who can bring hope to the hopeless. Father, this morning as we gather, for those who have never taken that step towards you, may they know that you love them, that you care about them, that you desire to restore and transform who they are. Your heart is to restore and refine. To those of us who have followed Jesus for a long time, yet we walk through the valley. It is dry and is desolate and we are hurting. The passion of our past has long waned and we are yearning for our hearts to be restored. Restore us today. Father, as we worship you, may our praise be a beautiful sound to your ear. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.